Hello and welcome to the Tennessee and Music Podcast, Tempo. I'm Julie Tonkey, music reporter, and today we have a special guest. Um, his upcoming record, Introducing Kale Tyson, is out uh, March 3rd on Nashville labeled Knife Tapes. Uh, awesome traditional country singer. Mm-hmm. Um, great if you like just being sad, listening to sad songs. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Kale Tyson. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, so tell me about the, this uh, This new record. It's actually sort of an old record. It's your, yeah. your two uh, previous EPs, High on Lonesome, Cheater's Wine, and you're mm-hmm. slapping it on vinyl. And Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, this guy named Ford, who runs Knife Tape's label, um, he hit me up a few months ago and was like, hey, I'm starting out this label. I've done a couple vinyl releases in the past, and I'd love to do another one with you if you'd like. And I was like, yeah, I would absolutely love to. Um, but I've been shopping this other record that I'm working on putting out later this year. And so I knew I couldn't do it with that yet. And so actually out in the UK, I'd put out this record called Introducing Kill Tyson that was both my EPs from 2013 and 2014. And I was like, why don't we do that and make it into a vinyl? And he jumped on it and we've been making it a reality. So it's cool. Awesome. So limited edition, 300 copies. 300 copies, and that's it. Yeah. So, and they're all um, screen printed here in town by Grand Palace Screen Printing. So it's like every copy is a different, going to be different numbered. So it's cool. Awesome. Awesome. So will folks be able to buy them through your website or locally, Grimey's, um, through, et cetera? Through Knife Tapes, and I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll have some copies at Grimey's and other record stores around town. Yeah, and I'm going to be taking... I think I'm taking a hundred of them out on my tour in March, so hopefully I can sell some there. Yeah, your your tour with no Nashville dates. I know. Unfortunately. Well, we're we're trying to pin on one Nashville date at the very mm-hmm. end of it, so we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, yeah. you keep us posted on that. I will. I sure will. All right. So yeah. you're a you're a Texas native. Grew mm-hmm. up in Fort Worth. How'd you uh, How'd you make your way to Nashville? Um, basically, I grew up in Fort Worth. I went to school in Dallas for a year um, for college. And then, and I hated it. And I was like, I got to get out of here. And I had a friend in town who was like, let's go to Nashville next year. You know, you can go to Belmont there and finish college if you want. And um, I was like, yeah, it sounds great. And we already had a buddy who was living in Nashville from Fort Worth also at the time. So I altered all my plans and decided, all right, I'm going to move to Nashville, finish school there. And about a week before I moved here, two things happened. The one guy that was going to move with me backed out. And the one guy who was living here that I knew from Fort Worth moved back to oh, Fort Worth. Oh, no. Yeah. So you're, you're solo then? You're yeah. So I moved here, I guess that was 2010. I moved here and I didn't know a soul. And I was living in a house by myself uh, over off Nolansville. So it was just like this crazy kind of year to figure out what I'm doing with my life mm-hmm. and who I was going to hang out with. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a little struggle. Mm-hmm. So were you already making music down down in Fort Worth? Mm-hmm. So whenever um, whenever I I played in bands all throughout school and high school and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and then whenever I I turned like seventeen or so, I started actually writing my own music and trying to do that, and it was absolutely terrible. And uh, but whenever I moved to Dallas, I started a band and had people backing me and started taking it a little more seriously. But even when I moved here, I had no intention of being a full-time musician I was just like yeah playing music is awesome I wish I could do it full-time but it'll be a hobby forever and then it turned out not to be (laughs) (laughs) so what were you planning to do Um, so when I was a kid I always tell people this when I was a kid my dad told me my dad's a very conservative Texan guy Mm -hmm. and he told me I could 
He said, I had to go to college and I had to become either a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> so he knew that I was interested in music. And um, so I told him, all right, I'll go to Belmont and I'll get a music business degree and then I'll go to law school and I'll be an entertainment attorney. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my way to get to Nashville. And, um, and then like a few years later, I was like, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. <laughs> my heart is not in that at all. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of weird. I get that. My dad's a doctor, and I, too, have been disappointing my parents yeah. since, since birth. Since exactly. Birth. <laughs> There's no way no way to please them. Yeah. Nope, nope. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to move and, you know, do country music for a living. And mm-hmm. Yeah. He does like that I play country music, mm-hmm. though. That was, like, a big saving grace for me because whenever I was growing up, I played in, like, you know, punk bands and metal <laughs> bands, and he absolutely hated that. Mm-hmm. So whenever he heard that I was actually starting to sound country on – on records, he was like, oh, man, that's awesome. And he, like, totally got behind it. There you go. So that was cool. Yeah. So that, that pedal steel just fixed everything. Yeah. It just it wounded all of his broken heart. <laughs> <laughs> so then you were still in, t- you were in town when you cut your first two EPs then, mm-hmm. um, Cheater's Wine and High and Lonesome. And mm-hmm. then I think I read somewhere that you were actually an intern at American Songwriter. I was. Yeah. Whenever I was going to Belmont, I interned at American Songwriter, met all those people, great mm-hmm. people. Yeah. How did uh, how did being surrounded by all that um, did that affect your 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 own writing? It did. I mean, I I learned about a ton of artists whenever I worked there, just because we worked. The interns worked in like this teeny tiny little room, and if you wanted to listen to music, you could listen to any of the records that people were sending in for promotion, and so we could hear all these albums that weren't going to be coming out for a few months. And I mean, that's how I figured out about. Todd Snyder, um, Cass McCombs, like all these different artists that I love now. I'd never heard them until that. So it was really cool. And then also it was a lot of like, this was terrible, and I'm sure you guys do this here, but transcribing interviews. The worst. That was like my like biggest duty was just to sit down and listen to these interviews. But it was really cool because I got to listen to all these great interviews about songwriting, and I'm sure I picked up a few things from that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was good. All right. And you, you said you, you cut a record, uh, Careless Soul, sort of like a mm-hmm. country soul record. You went, mm-hmm. um, tell us about that. You went down to, to Fame Studios. Yeah, I went down studios. last, almost a year ago now, I went to Fame Studios um, with this guy named Mike Rennie produced the record. Mm-hmm. And I originally came to him and I was like, I don't want to make the same, I don't want to get stuck in making the same traditional country record over and over and over again. And I was listening to a lot more kind of 70s country and a little bit mm-hmm. more soul music. And so he was like, let's go cut a record at Fame. So we looked at the rates, and surprisingly, it wasn't that expensive really? to go down there and cut a record. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, so I actually crowdfunded that record, and we went down, and we spent a week at Fame, and then we came back here, and we finished it over the span of like six months because the producer plays with, he plays bass with Emmylou and Rodney Crow. And so he was always out on tour, and I was always out on tour, so it would be like, all right, I have this one day, let's go overdub vocals for this song or whatever. So the whole thing took way longer than we anticipated. But it's done, and it's actually, weirdly enough, it's out in the UK on my record label over there, but it's not out here yet. Okay. Is is there any sort of... Plan? Yeah. Yes and yeah, there is. It's kind of... I just got um, management... Finally, and um, so they're working to find it a good home. I basically, I'm trying to find this record a good home before I choose to have to self-release another record. So we'll see what happens. 
okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so going to fame where all these amazing people have recorded uh, mm-hmm. over the past 40, 50 years, did you did you geek out a little bit? Because I feel like I would be a giant nerd. We all did. Yeah, it was cool because I took pretty much the whole band was from Nashville. It was mm-hmm. a lot of um, and I'm sure you know the guys in Steelism. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of them who came down to play on it. And then we had Dave Hood play nice. bass on it. And so Dave knew the whole studio and had like his specific spot to sit and everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were all geeking out the entire time. And it was honestly, it's really weird because whenever you pull up to the studio, we, none of us Im- imagined this or none of us that had I've never been there before. Um, it's like in a shopping center. And so really? we were like, it's like right next to like a McDonald's. <laughs> we were just like, huh, that's that's weird. But then right when you walk in the door, it's just, you're like transported back mm-hmm. to history. And it's so rad. So it was great. Oh, all right. You totally forget you're in a strip mall, I guess. Yeah, when you get in exactly. There. <laughs> exactly. You're like, I don't want to leave here. So yeah, it was good. Right so um, I guess tell me a little bit, How obviously from Texas, were you listening to sort of traditional country music um, from, mm-hmm. I assume, since the womb? Or how did you get into it? Well, when I was a kid, I would listen to a lot of it only by approximation. Or what's the word for approximation? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, because my dad and my mom were super into, you know, Waylon and Willie mm-hmm. and Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash. So anytime I was in the car, that was all we would listen to. So I would always hear it then but I wasn't like you know a diehard fan I was just a young kid and it was Mm -hmm. all I heard um and then I kind of you know like I said I went to high school and I started playing in rock bands and emo bands and all sorts of stuff like that and so I really wasn't listening to country and at that time if you would have told me that I would play country music in my life I would have thought you were 100% wrong (laughs) so um I actually got this like major obsession whenever I started really writing songs in high school. I got incredibly obsessed with Bright Eyes and Connor O'Burst. <laughs> and I started writing and I was like, I wanna write like Connor, I wanna do this like this kind of folk folky emo, whatever you wanna call mm-hmm. it stuff. But a lot of his records, like I remember whenever he came out with I'm Wide Awake It's Morning, it like blew my mind because it was kind of country sounding. So I was really writing, almost emulating a lot of that. And then I, I remember like one day someone was like, yeah, you're kind of writing country music. And I was like, no, there's no way. What are you, you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved here and it, took, it still took a couple of years for me to get into it. But I met my pedal steel player, Brett Resnick, and he was like, he had the exact same story. He was like, Bright Eyes is what got me to play pedal steel, <laughs> which is crazy. Like... <laughs> Um, but he was like, you got to listen to this Ray Price record. You got to listen to like all these like, um, George Jones records and Gary Stewart. And he was like, cause this stuff is awesome. And so like, I spent like three years just digesting anything traditional country. And it was funny cause a lot of the stuff I was just getting reintroduced from when I was a kid and being in the car with my parents. So yeah, it just sparked this love for the music in me. And it turned out that. I was okay at writing it and just decided to go with it for a little while. Right on. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a great 70s, sort of 70s country vibe to your record. A lot of Ray yeah. Price, Mel Street. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we love Mel Street. Yeah. Yeah. Underrated, I think. I think so, too. I love, I always, I kind of put him with um, Gary Stewart mm-hmm. and, like, just the tortured songwriter people because their voices just sound like they're just, like, so living in hell. Yeah. And actually, both of them committed suicide, too, which is crazy. 
Not that you have to commit suicide. You're doing all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. But yeah, I mean, they wrote like the saddest songs in the entire world, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back in time and just give them puppies. Yeah. Don't be, don't be so sad. I love sad music, though. I think, I mean, I like, I have this weird thing whenever I hear like an inspiring song, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I like only want to hear songs about someone going through the worst thing ever. <laughs> I don't know why. I love sad songs. It makes my life seem better in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then whenever you're that sad and you listen to it, you're like, oh, someone else has been through this, too. <laughs> so it's kind of this like beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. That's why I like listening to murder ballads also. It's like, oh, yeah. It could be worse. Yeah, exactly. It could be worse. I haven't been thrown in a river yet. And also, yeah. it's just like listening to true crime, which is great. It's so. just like watching Forensic Files. Yeah, or um, making a murder. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're all right, Kale Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just got done watching that OJ uh, show on Netflix last night. Oh, nice. So I'm still um, a little wrecked. The one, uh, the one with Sarah Paulson and the the people versus yeah. OJ, the uh, dramatization. Yeah, there's a there's a really good ESPN did a thing on the on the trial too. That I don't know if it's on Netflix. I though. think it just came out on one of those streaming sites. That's gonna mm-hmm. be my next thing to watch for sure. I'm like totally <laughs> just like I'm living in the OJ time. Well, you were now. a baby. Like how, how old were you? I when was, the- and that's what's cool about it. My my girlfriend's actually um, five years older than me, so she's like. Like, something would happen in the show. We'd be watching it together. I'd be like, oh, my God, that's crazy. She's like, yeah, you don't remember that? That was, like, huge. But, I mean, you know, I was a baby whenever it was happening. So it's crazy. Oh, well, Netflix is now educational. You're learning. I'm learning. All about American history. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, Not just because it's been distracting me the entire time. Tell me about your panda tattoo. (laughs) Um, okay, so I feel like everyone, when they turn 18, they make a big mistake, yep. and that was my mistake, except it was, so that was in the days of MySpace, mm-hmm. and I really liked this one artist, um, uh, this musician in Dallas, and he had, on his MySpace page, he had the WWF Panda on there, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's a really cool design, that would make a great tattoo, and I oh. got it tattooed, but I justified it by saying... I'm going to, like, really get into donating to WWF and maybe, you know, go on a trip and mm-hmm. do some volunteering. And I haven't done anything, and I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. <laughs> but I have this panda tattoo that everyone asks me about now, so it's good. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. And yeah. it kind of, like, started paving the way for, like, you can get dumb tattoos. It's okay. No one cares. It's just another story to tell. Yeah, once you get the first one. Yeah, exactly. And this was before pandas became, like, super internet famous. Exactly. I was an early comer. There you go. I'm a trendsetter. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was Panda Guy in your top eight on MySpace? Panda Guy? I forgot about Panda Guy. Who was Panda Guy again? I don't know. It was just one of, the like, the founding members. Probably. So it was, like, Tom, and then there was... (laughs) Yeah. What about your Panda Guy, though? The guy... Um, that the guy that inspired oh, you to oh, get... Oh, my panda guy. Um, he was in my top eight for sure. I, I don't think I was in his top eight. I really looked up to him, though. So. Who was it so we can shame him on, on our podcast You know, right I don't even remember anymore. It was some guy from the local scene mm-hmm. in Fort Worth. So I honestly don't even remember his name anymore. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. All right, good, good. I feel like we're having a nice therapy session right this here. This is good. Yeah. yeah. Talking about the O.J. Simpson case <laughs> in MySpace. It's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, also, I read today on the internet, so it must be true, that today is the 10th anniversary of Britney Spears shaving her head. Wow. Um, so I feel like we need to commemorate that uh, in some way. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to shave our heads after yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, we'll get right on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so tell me, uh, your tour starts March 1st. It's, mm-hmm. it's starting... Um, in Lexington. Okay, so you're crisscrossing America. You're heading over to Europe also? Yeah, so this tour, the March tour goes up to New York and then all the way back down to Austin for South By. And then in May, I'm going over to Europe. And I've done a few tours over there, but this will be my first time hitting um, Scandinavia, France, Germany, and um, where else? Spain. Mm-hmm. So it's a month and a week. So I plan on being full-on European by then. Awesome. If you yeah. don't come back with a beret. Yeah. I mean, I might not be allowed to come back, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So cutting an LP, is that different on your approach than cutting EPs? Mm-hmm. How, how did you guys go about it? Um, it's harder. <laughs> it's a lot harder. Um, but I had a lot more material. And when I did the EPs, I did it all on my own in terms of production. Um, so whenever I cut the LP, it was really nice to have an actual producer come in and just throw like 25 songs at him and him say, okay, these are the 12 that we're going to do. Um, and then just having him help arrange it all was amazing. So, I mean, it, it definitely was harder, but it was really nice to have someone else help out. And I think it, it, an LP can tell more of a story than an EP can. I feel like an EP is just kind of a vomit of, you know, three to six songs or whatever, whereas an LP is, it can, it doesn't always work this way, but I think my favorite LP is always kind of drag you through a journey with the same theme. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's good. I mean, it's hard work, but it's good for expression. Okay, now you you have it released. Your Careless Soul record is out in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you tour over there. It seems like a lot of singer-songwriter folks from the States are, are, are doing really well over there. Um, yeah. what's, what's the scene like over there? In the UK, they just, like, they're really polite, <laughs> which is really funny. So, like, and they're really... Um, they're very lyric oriented. They really listen to songs and song structure and they really pick up on that. So it's funny because a lot of artists over there, especially within like the country Americana realm that are huge over there and aren't necessarily big over here. Um, but it's like a lot more of like the singer songwriter type artists, Mm -hmm. but you play, I mean, I remember the first tour, the first time I went over there was about three years ago. And the first tour we did, we had no idea what to expect, and it was just me and one other guy. And, like, we sold out, like, half the shows we played. And whenever we played, like, from the start to the finish, no one said a word. Everyone was just, like, they would listen to the song, and then you'd get done, and there'd be, like, like two seconds of silence, and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, the worst two seconds in the entire road. But then everyone claps, and you're just like, it was, it was amazing. It's incredible how much they listen over there. Sometimes it's weird playing with a band over there because a lot of times we'll get booked at venues that are listening rooms and we'll try to play rowdy and everyone will be sitting down <laughs> just <laughs> looking at you and you're like, oh, okay, cool. But, you know, no one's, no one's having a conversation while you're playing or no one's getting drunk and yelling at you, which is nice every now and then. So, yeah. All right. So how can people find you on the Internet uh, if they want to? Look you up, mm-hmm. look look up by your music. Just my old MySpace is the only place to find. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, kltyson.net is my website, but I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all this, all those fun things. All the things. All the things that keep me distracted from doing what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, it's good. 
All right. So you want to play a, play a couple songs for us? Sure. All yeah. right. Kale Tyson, thanks so much. Thank you.